The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats. Let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a very fascinating subject to cover today, but first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform in which you're listening to us upon. We have several social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read. Check us out on our fan page on Facebook when you type in the at symbol, Our Mighty Fortress. You can also visit our website at OurMightyFortress.com. We have a host of media where you can look at articles and videos and even a link to our merch store to help support the work. If, of course, you feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website and the established PayPal link. If we've helped you in some way through our work, please tell us at OurMightyFortress at gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to talk about a fundamental question about what it means to be human. Just a particular aspect of that. We're going to ask the question, if someone can be good without an absolute and holy God. Why do I say what it means to be human? Because the human race is the only creature, if I can use that word, on earth that has moral values because we can ration and reason. Now, you can have animals who may subjectively show kindness or love or even hate and disdain, but they can't reason why they do so. But human beings are distinctly different. And from the Christian worldview, it's because they are made in the image of God. We're going to ask what it even means to be good. We're told in the Western world today that we don't need God to be good and that we're better off without him and the Bible. We have to really look at and see, is that really true? Of course, we do see a shift in not only what is considered Christian morality in America, but really an overall rewriting of our entire Western society. Now, of course, this subject has very long videos that you can watch and just volumes of books with various points of views uh, with some Christian and some not. What we're going to try to do is try to condense this subject enough to be able to provoke your critical thinking skills if you're a Christian, it's easy to say yes and 
and you know needing God as an absolute, and we would say and agree with all of that. But can you answer why? We're going to look at various atheistic thinkers and what they have said, but we're also going to compare them directly to some of the great Christian thinkers. By the end of this podcast, I hope to persuade the mind of someone who may be on the fence about this question, but I really want to strengthen the Christian's faith. With that introduction, let's get right into this. We first have to address, can you have morality without God? Now, morality is defined as a personal system determining right and wrong based upon some standard. And ethics is how you study morality. Well, the ultimate question is whether you can even know right and wrong without God. The first thing to understand is that God created us as moral beings, human, the human race I'm talking about. Not animals, not fish of the sea or whatever, but the human race. The human race was created as moral beings. We have the moral free will choice to either obey God or disobey him. In the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapters 1 through 3, Adam and Eve always did that which was right because the concept of disobeying was not something that they could fathom. That wasn't introduced until when Satan came into the garden. With this, you had his seduction to flirt with the idea of disobeying God. The more Eve dwelt upon the concept of evil, the more it sank into her heart where it then became reasonable in her mind to take the forbidden fruit. There was an old preacher from the country of Australia named Michael Hill who wrote a book that is called The How and Why of Love, an Introduction to Evangelical Ethics. Now, this is a pretty fascinating book. And on this matter of the temptation in the Garden of Eden, he wrote this, quote, Temptation is perverse. In order to question God's majesty, one has to take the right to rule out of God's hands in order to see if it belongs there. The fact that humanity can question God's majesty and appear to take the right to rule out of his hands incites an attitude of rebellion, end quote. Why was the tree in the Garden of Eden in the first place? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I mean. That really deals with the problem of evil or the problem of suffering. But the quick answer to that is that God wanted man with the freedom to choose. The freedom to love or not love. Basically, the simple instruction in the beginning was, don't play God. So easy, right? <laughs> Morality, of course, stems from our concept of obeying the commands of the Lord. To disobey those commands would be to act as your own God. When we sin, we think that our way is better, thus making us little g-gods. So, Satan didn't completely lie to Eve because we truly did become his God knowing good and evil. Interesting. Surely the question that would arise when we think about morality is, say, can an atheist be moral? The Apostle Paul makes an interesting statement in the book of Romans, starting in chapter 1 and verse 16. It says, quote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God 
revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the visible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That's pretty blunt right there. Verse 21, because of that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The Apostle Paul also carries on this thought in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 14. It says, quote, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. End quote. What part of the law is ingrained in the consciences of men? The part of the law that was ingrained in the hearts of the Gentiles was the moral law. It wasn't the mixing of fabrics or the keeping of the Sabbath that the Apostle Paul is talking about. Now, of course, the Jews who were given that part of the law by God were held accountable for disobeying God when, the, when those commands were given. And there's a whole rhyme and reason to why the law was given in the very first place. But the moral aspects of the law, as listed in many of the Ten Commandments, such as not murdering or stealing, is found in various cultures. Now, cultures all over the world all have their different concepts of how this is going to be applied. For, for instance, even an ancient man, you weren't supposed to murder each other, but sometimes there was allowances based upon your social economic status. <laughs> but the difference is, is that God's values are absolute and it doesn't matter how much money you had. That was very unique. Some cultures, you know, hey, they ended up quite violent while others were rather peaceful. But nonetheless, the concept was demonstrated by Paul that all men had this part of the law ingrained in their consciences. In answering the question whether an atheist can be moral in a relative sense, then yes, they can. The Western world, as such as found in, say, Europe, the United States, and all of those influenced by Christianity, even if you were an atheist, you're going to be influenced by the morality of the Bible. Why? Because the majority of the laws are based out of the scriptures. Now, of course, there are plenty of laws that are anti-God and, and those kinds of things today. But if you look at the basis of various laws, many of them directly quote scripture. It is not that you cannot do good without believing in God, but rather can you be good without God? It's a different way of asking the question. 
The problem lies in the sense on whether we can have morality in an absolute sense without God. Well, if there is no God, then there cannot be morality in an absolute sense. If the United States decides that murder is wrong, then you have the Islamic nations decide that murdering all infidels is a good thing. And then you have a long lost tribe in the Amazon jungle that decides that murdering all outsiders is legitimate and good. Then without an absolute, they are all valid possibilities for having a basis for being quote good. How can any one of those three categories even look at each other and decide that the other is wrong by any moral standards, considering that they're just as equal Who's really calling the shots? You have to have some sort of absolute value introduced. God is the rational underpinnings of good and evil. If God does not exist, then everything is permissible. Think about that. Michael Hill also said, quote, The moral commands of the Bible fit together because they all issue from the same person, God is offended at any of the commands that are broken. One cannot be selectively moral. End quote. Morality without God, the moral lawgiver, would be just subjective rather than objective. This means that the subjective morality only applies to the subject and not to the object, and therefore it's not binding to anybody else. Now, there are a few atheistic philosophers that have tried to break down the word objective and really refute this point because obviously they're anti-God. One of them is named Peter Milliken. He believes the word objective brings several different meanings and can't be used in the absolute sense. And rather, he believes that it's such a slippery word. For instance, he'll ask the question in response, is it objective because we all in fact, agree on them? Is it objective because all humans should agree on them? Is it objective because every possible rational beings should agree? Is it objective because we view them as binding to humans? Is it objective because we view them as binding to all possible rational beings? Is it objective because they exist in a lifeless universe? Is it objective because it exists in some substantial metaphysical form? There are other atheists that will ask how God makes values objective. They'll say, is it because he can punish and reward? They'll say, well, it's you're instead obeying a dictator because he has power and does, and does not thereby render the command virtuous or desirable. It is what's known as the euthyphro dilemma. It'll carry on where he'll say, is it? because his commands are good by definition? Then it's like saying God is good, and it just means that he commands what he commands, so he would be good. What if the commands of, say, baby killing or baby torturing is permissible? Does it make it good? Is it because he knows what is right and wrong? Then they'll respond, well, then that means that what is right and wrong cannot be a matter of his choice, but rather they must be there to be known, and hence it might be possible for us to know what is right and wrong without God. 
What really has to be understood is the fact that there is only one being on this planet that can ration and reason with a higher level of consciousness, and that is the human being. There is not an animal on this planet that has the consciousness that we do or can even determine what is moral and not moral. Mankind is created in the image of God and therefore has the ability to ration and reason and even to comprehend morality. To be objective means it would have to point towards an absolute authority. The atheist philosopher's arguments given are the epitome of what God says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. <laughs> This is because their arguments are outside the realm of God and the creation. He wants you to think about the definition in his world and classification and not the God of the Bible. The secular philosopher will have you believe that there is no need to have an absolute starting point for morality. And he just tries to bypass this by stating that, well, evolution brought about our current morality. A well-known atheist Sam Harris states that, quote, the fact that our ethical intuitions have their roots in biology reveals that our efforts to ground ethics and religious conce uh, conceptions of moral duty are misguided. Saving a drowning child is no more a moral duty than understanding a syllogism is a logical one. We simply do not need religious ideas to motivate us to live ethical lives, end quote. Now, Sam Harris is pretty outspoken in his previous ventures about being an atheist, but it's ironically the case that his tune has changed because he has become a lot more spiritual. <laughs> There's a whole road to go down that one, and that deals with the Dancing and Devils podcast that we had just recently done. We have to look at his argument about biology and evolution. <laughs> you have to notice that if evolution is true and humans are just evolved animals, then we should have no moral obligation to each other just like the rest of the animal kingdom. Most animals are deceiving, thieving, fornicating murderers. So why should we be any different? Do you ever think about that? Based upon this idea, then the presiding factor would be the preservation of the species, right? Then that means that rape would not be inherently wrong. This would mean that fornication and adultery would not be wrong, given that the same idea uh, deals with the propagation of the species. What if lying saved your life or benefited you in some way? Then it wouldn't be wrong for you to do so. Based upon these ideas, then men like Hitler in Germany, Stalin in Russia, Mao in China, and Pol Pot in Cambodia, you couldn't consider those men wrong or evil based upon their ethics or social cleansing ideas because with that, they're just refining the species, right? While many publications try to hide the original title to Charles Darwin's book, I have a couple different copies of that book and one copy clips off the end of the title and the other one has the actual title. I find that very interesting, almost like they're trying to hide it. But the original title to The Origin of Species is The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection of the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Hmm, that changes the context, doesn't it?
If there is no God, and the different races of people evolved in their geographical areas, then it wouldn't have been wrong for Hitler to conclude the Jews, the infirmed, the mentally unstable, even the gypsies, to be exterminated during the time of World War II because to him, they're all just lower evolved life forms. A surviving inmate during World War II of the concentration camp, his name was Viktor Frankl. He writes something very fascinating about this time. In his book, Doctor of the Soul, he states, quote, If we present a man with a concept of man which is not true, we may well corrupt him. When we present man as an automaton of reflexes, as a mind machine, as a bundle of instincts, as a pawn of drives and reactions, as a mere product of instinct, heredity, and environment, we feed the nihilism to which modern man is, and in any case, prone. I become acquainted with the last stage of that corruption in my second concentration camp, Auschwitz. The gas chambers of Auschwitz were the ultimate consequence of the theory that man is nothing but the product of heredity and environment, or, as a Nazi likened to say, of blood and soil. I am absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Treblanca, and Madnik were ultimately prepared not in some ministry or other in Berlin, but rather at the desk and the lecture halls of nihilistic scientists and philosophers, end quote. What is he talking about? He's talking about, ultimately, the effects of the German rationalism in the schools of theology there in Europe that and tagged along with the theory of evolution that utterly and spiritually destroyed Europe. Even till today, it's very, very difficult to win Europeans to Christ. Now, we're not talking about people who moved from Africa or moved from the Middle East or Russia or whatever else, but, you know, true Europeans have, they got generations of families there. It is very difficult to win them to the cause of Christ. Why? Because they're so numbed to religion and the teachings there. There's history behind that, especially in the mid 1800s. A lot took place there that just destroyed Europe. It also puts a little bit of a different context in which some of the early American preachers uh, and big-time preachers, we would call them, the J. Frank Norris or the Jack Hiles or whatever, that were fighting against the German rationalism and the ideas of liberalism that was flooding in America at that time really changes the context when you understand that history. Atheists will try to play word games, and many times they'll state that well, it wasn't the atheism of Stalin and Pol Pot or others that made them do the killing that they did, but rather it's because they're just deranged. Well, they can't have it both ways. If murdering innocent people is wrong, it is because every life has intrinsic worth. And this is something that atheism cannot deduce because they have no absolute standard by which they base it upon. For an atheist to argue for some moral preference, it is merely subjective or just personal preference that it's based upon an individual's environment and rather not in some absolute. Remember, it goes back to the difference of opinions between countries. Who's right? Who's wrong? I guess we're all just right in how we do things. Well, obviously not. It's been said this way. When you assert that there is such a thing as evil, you must assume there is such a thing as good. 
But when you say there is such a thing as good, then you must assume there is a moral law by which to distinguish between good and evil. There must be some standard by which to determine what is good and what is evil. When you assume a moral law, then you have to assume a moral law giver, the source of the moral law itself. But this moral law giver is precisely who atheists are trying to disprove. An atheist could respond, why is a moral law giver necessary in order to recognize good and evil? Well, in order for one to make moral judgments, the person assumes intrinsic worth in himself and transfers intrinsic worth to the life of another, and thus he considers that life worthy of protection. A transcendent value is placed upon that individual, but that can only come from someone who is of transcendent worth. But the scientific world will say that matter alone is king and that there isn't any intrinsic value in people. There are various secular philosophers that have taken issue with the idea that one can derive morality from reason. One such man is David Hume, definitely not a Christian. He lived in the 18th century. One of his famous writings was the Is and Ought Dilemma. Now remember, Hume was not a believer, but in his writings, he states that you cannot get what you ought to do with morality from what is with reason. Another way of putting it is you can't draw moral conclusions from the natural world. David Hume's is and ought argument goes as such. Moral beliefs have an influence on people's actions and affections. Reason alone, that is, beliefs derived from reason unaided by desire, can never have such influence. Therefore, morals cannot be derived from reason. What he's saying is that you have to have an absolute in order to have moral objectivity. There are those Christians that have capitulated to the evolutionary worldview, and unfortunately, they run into a major dilemma. Atheists will then pin them down on several concepts with this. The infamous Christopher Hitchens used to do this all the time with Christians that capitulated to evolution. He said, quote, Homo sapiens would have been around for 100,000 years. When did God decide to have man in his image? You're telling me that for two million years, heaven stood by as death and destruction happened on earth, and then God decides, I guess we better intervene now. That is one very cruel and capricious being, end quote. Then he'll go on to say, quote, name the ethical statement that was made or a moral action that was performed by a religious person in the name of faith that could not have been made as an action or uttered as a statement by a person of non-faith, end quote. On this particular point, one can respond that we are free to choose how we're going to live our lives, but the problem lies with what your motivation is. Many cultures love their neighbors, but many can choose to eat them as well. <laughs> Which are you going to choose? In a debate with Dennis Prager, Christopher Hitchens also <laughs> tried to pin uh, Mr. Prager with this very point. Dennis simply responded, quote, 
Your car breaks down in the dead of midnight and you get out to pop your hood to see what the issue is. Then behind you are a group of five big men coming up to you rather quickly. Would it matter to you with how you felt at that moment if you knew that those people were coming from a Bible study? End quote. (laughs) You know what? It would. That's because you assume intrinsic worth and value. (laughs) Another major moral issue of our day that's a little touchy is euthanasia. Euthanasia is the termination of the life of a patient by a medical practitioner. This can be done by a doctor by giving a sort of lethal injection that kills the patient, or it can be of the neglect of care by those who really need it. You say, That doesn't take place in America or European hospitals. The Western world, we're much more civilized than that, right? Well, all across Europe and the United States, if a child is born and has severe birth defects, then the doctors can put a DNR or do not resuscitate on their medical charts, allowing the child to die. This has been a recent ongoing issue because of the expense to care for that child who may or may not survive their defects. Also, depending on the defect, the cost of the future medical attention through the child's life is another reason why they just go ahead and place DNR on the medical chart. This really happens even in America, and it's had some major lawsuits take place. Well, if there is no God, no absolute lawgiver, then how can you say that euthanizing anyone, let alone children that are handicapped, is even wrong? God is the author of life, and he dictates what is to be done with it. For any, old or young, the Bible ethic does not just call upon Christians to morally evaluate the practice of euthanasia, but they are to provide for the welfare of the terminally ill and and to relieve their suffering. In doing this, they will not only witness to the character of the Lord, but have dignity and give the person dignity and worth to the dying. So again, where does morality come from? The morality that Christians adhere to is the one that stems from God's holy nature. The first and foremost characteristic of God is that he is holy. God's nature is an objective point of reference with justice, love, peace, goodness, holiness, grace, mercy, patience, and truth. The closer a moral action is to conforming to God's nature, the better it will be. These precepts and principles are found in the word of God, and it works to conform the Christian's character to that of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on earth, he taught a higher form of morality than what the Jews had even really thought of. They completely missed the intention of what God had with morality. In the book of Matthew, chapter 22, and starting in verse 35, it says, And then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, it's talking about Jesus, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
When Jesus read this, he astounded the religious leaders, let alone the common people, at his knowledge and his baseness with the foundation of the law. Of course, before this, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus addressed the origin of sin and dealing with the heart. He speaks of adultery in the manner of what goes on in a person's heart as being the actions themselves. That also astounded them. There are many moral virtues painted in the New Testament, like patience, endurance, gentleness, kindness, forbearance, consideration, meekness, humility, self-control, sincerity, and purity. These are all good and holy to God. Now, over this discussion, we have seen that it's a serious system of mental gymnastics for the atheist to derive some sort of objective morality without God. Now, it is reasonable for them to conclude a subjective evolutionary morality, which some like Richard Dawkins has, but to derive any objectivity from just reason alone is fallacious. Thus, it leads to the philosophical moral argument. It goes as such. If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. Objective moral values and duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content. And remember to find your refuge and strength in our Mighty Fortress.